2: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've reached the end once again, ladies and gentlemen, of a tumultuous week uh, in the Independent Republic of Mike Graham and uh, in the big wide world out there. Things were thrown slightly into confusion last night when Scotland and Wales decided it would be a great idea to put Portugal back on the naughty list and make it possible for people coming back from Portugal to Scotland and Wales to go into quarantine. However, in England, you don't have to go into quarantine. So if you fly back from Portugal into England and then drive into Scotland, what happens? then if you fly back into Cardiff from Portugal and you drive back into England What happens then? We'll be trying to get an explanation of that and what on earth is going on. Uh, We're going to be speaking to the Chief Executive of Heathrow Airport. He's got a few pricey things to say about what needs to happen right now uh, between the government, the travel business industry and everybody else as well. Nick Dubois joins me this morning too. Uh, He's going to be talking about what exactly the week has been like for the government because quite frankly, we are still in the midst of this pandemic. However, the schools are going back. Certain people are going back to work in their offices. Some restaurants are open. Do you know that something like 100 million meals were sold thanks to the eat out to help out scheme? Well, if 100 million meals can be sold, how come people can't go back to work? What are you telling me? It's all right to go out to a restaurant, but it's not okay to go back to an office. I think that is all a bit of a con. Lots more to talk about, of course. We'll be talking about the migrant crisis. We'll be talking about the BBC as well, because I'm going to say this. I think the new director general of the BBC has suddenly found some common sense. He's telling the likes of Gary Lineker, Emily Maitlis, Lewis Goodall, all the people uh, that politicise on their social media accounts to shut up, sit down, and stop giving us your personal views. If you want to have personal views, go work somewhere else. I think he's on the right track, don't you? 0344 499 1000. Also, it's Friday, so Martin Maligon returns with the Perrier Awards. And, of course, we want to hear from you as well. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid morning with Mike Graham Talk Radio. So the papers this morning full of all manner of different types of stories. Interestingly, uh, it would appear that there is now a growing clamour, uh, which I've been going on about for almost a month now, for people to get back to the offices repopulate the cities of this great country and industry now leaders warning the government that if it's not done properly and if quarantine does not disappear altogether from the way that we now live not only is the travel business finished but trade is going to be affected as well Uh, let's kick things off this morning with nick dubois former conservative mp author of confessions of a recovering mp of course talk radio presenter as well nick a very good morning to you Good morning to you, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. What sort of a week has it been, do you think, for the government? There's been that incredible migrant crisis story where 416 people arrived on our shores in one uh, day alone. Priti Patel this morning tweeting out that they've managed to deport some more people. That sort of fight goes on. The business fight goes on. uh, And now still the kind of quarantine madness goes on.
3: Well, to be fair, I, uh, the part, the government and the whips were really keen to get the MPs back. Uh, they always like to have MPs in Parliament, even under these conditions, because mm. they think they can control them more and everyone's better behaved and they all get on message. Now, it hasn't all been bad for the government this week. There have been some things, frankly, they've got right and they are right to point to. But it hasn't been a good week. And uh, funny enough, the quarantine, I think is something that is now confounding loads of people, including MPs, for a number of reasons. First of all, if you can't fly in and out of this country, this country's economy is going to continue to suffer. It's fundamental to how we do business. And when you've got 30 other countries that are implementing uh, a very satisfactory testing scheme at the airports and then up to seven days later and avoiding the long quarantine we have, You have to ask yourself, why are we not doing that? And frankly, I think the airports are right. They are, and the travel industry are right, to say it's come a bit of a lottery now. And we've seen that with, uh, if you'd been a betting man, Mike, uh, and as I was, I would have put a bet yesterday that Portugal was going into quarantine or effectively travellers coming back. So people have been out rushing, buying tickets, paying premium prices to try and avoid quarantine. And of course, now they've been hit with a double whammy of not having spent that money and probably still coming back. So it's got to be sorted out. And the obvious way to go forward, and I think the resistance is clearly coming from number 10, is to ramp up this ability to test people when they arrive, take their temperatures and as well as a test and have them tested uh, seven days later. That could reduce quarantine substantially and make a big difference on the government's fortunes and actually on the economic fortunes of the country.
2: Well, that's right, because we keep hearing different stories on the testing front, don't we? Because every time you say uh, to the government, you know, let's get some testing done at airports, they say, well, the trouble with that is, is that you could still be incubating the disease and the test doesn't really show you anything. But if that's the logic, then why bother testing anybody at any point for anything?
3: Well, the the system being proposed by the airlines is precisely the system that has been uh, also uh, used in the MHS and for key workers. So right. I don't see why we are facing that difficulty. The fact of the matter is, there is a f- corona fear r- virus running through number ten in a way because they've been so badly burnt by what happened in the early months, and that's completely understandable that they fear a second wave, and they are still coming down on, if you like, health protection, which I think um, they, you, you don't ignore, but the fact of the matter is, I think we are being over-cautious. Yeah. Now, I'm not a medic. I'll get lots of criticism for that, I'm sure. But the overcaution coming from number 10 is and uh, now, I think, um, dominating so much that we are actually seeing ourselves harming ourselves, self-harming ourselves through what we're doing to the economy, um, but by this over-caution. And that over-caution is reflected in the policy on quarantine at the moment.
2: Yeah, absolutely right. I I thought the Prime Minister's questions were slightly odd this week as well, Mm. because it seemed... Very, very ill-tempered, much more so than normal, almost as though something had happened. And it's very clear to me that that, that there's quite a lot of correspondence going on between Sir Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson. They seem to write to each other quite a lot, uh, but then they kind of reveal that they've written to each other uh, in a public arena, which doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But, But there was a lot of rancour, it seemed.
3: Well, I, I think on the Labour benches, there is frustration. They realise they should be ten, pole, 10 points ahead in the polls and they're just not getting the cut through. And that is frustration boiling over. And I think you see that it's almost an, uh, 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 over the summer, they think the government have had a really bad summer. They were expecting to be doing much better than they're doing. On the government front, if you'd been Boris Johnson going into PMQs, you would have looked back over the U-turns, the A-level crisis, all the difficulties you've had, and you would have expected to have got a a bit of a pasting. I think both people went into where they're one very cautious and one very frustrated. And it actually wasn't a very good question time in in that sense. I Mm. don't think the prime minister had a particularly good question time. And I think Keir Starmer didn't do. No, I mean, I I
2: said to Charlotte Ivers on the day, I was really looking forward to it because I thought, you know, there's actually something to get your teeth into, a bit of meat and drink for those of us who like that sort of thing. And it was kind of underwhelming in a way and, and a bit disappointing.
3: Yeah, and and you know, remember, Mike. Look, it's it is theatre. Uh, PMQs. A lot of good work goes on in Parliament, but PMQs. The object for the prime minister is not to answer questions, and the object for the uh, the objective for the uh, leader of the opposition is to ask as many awkward ones as he can. No one really learns anything in PMQs, but it's a key thermometer. It, it it helps define how MPs feel on both sides of the benches. It helps sets the tone for government. And I'm afraid I think PMQs, which was as you say um, disappointing in some respects but uh, uh, also reflected pretty much the angst that is in Parliament. Remember, the Conservatives have been told this week there could be huge tax rises, something that is extremely alien to many people on the benches, and I share their concern. Yeah. What the possibility of huge tax rises could do to our economic growth that is festering away the whatsapp groups amongst mps are still talking about this is a ludicrous idea that we will ramp up um, taxes at a time when we're trying to uh, recover the economy so there's that anxiousness going on that you had the quarantine which they're not in parliament obviously now but has been an ongoing sore um, plus Uh, there's genuine concerns that the more division you get between um, between Scotland and Wales and England particularly, the more the union comes under threat. So for the Conservatives, you know, there's quite a lot of angst out there at the moment. But having said that, you know, look how we are doing in terms of controlling infection rates in this country at the moment. The government cannot cannot unreasonably point to how they're doing much better than elsewhere in Europe. Yes, there's been confusion over testing this week with capacity issues, but nevertheless, we are doing hundreds of thousands of tests a week where other countries are struggling not to. So there, you know that is positive. Priti Patel is right to point out that actually we may hear about those uh, immigrants who are risking their lives and trying to get into the country illegally at the same time. She's actually absolutely right to point out that where she can, she is turning people back and they are being sent back by plane to their destinations. But the lawyers are uh, slowing that process down. And she can point to some successes, even in France, where they have stopped uh, people coming over. So
2: it's not all doom and gloom. And
3: it's easy to, if you're a conservative, to feel that.
2: No, indeed. And I saw them packing up some dinghies as well, which looked like they were going to be shipped back to France. Although I'm not sure they wouldn't be better off just destroying the damn thing so that nobody can actually use them again. But you put out a tweet yesterday, Nick, about the comparison charts between us and other countries of the world. And you noted uh, quite, I think, shrewdly that, you know, there was a time when every single day we were being told by the media, oh, look how terrible it is in comparison to other countries that we're doing. We're the worst in Europe. Then we were the worst in the world. And now they're not making the comparisons anymore, strangely enough. No, they're
3: not. And and of course, it is the nature of much of our media that they are only interested in uh, t- talking about the bad news. The fact is, uh, when you look at uh, the countries that other media commentators have held up, left wing particularly, have held up as prime examples of where things are going well, like Germany, mm. we are on a par for the way we are managing with Germany, we are managing the infection rate. No credit has been given to the government for that. We look at Spain, which is something like five times, um, well, considerably higher than that, actually seeing an infection of rate nearly 4,000 uh, a day compared to what we are seeing here. You can see that the government have, have, have actually got a pretty reliable strategy in the way they are dealing with local lockdowns and how they are trying to control the infection. Um, as I say, I I think, though, that success is almost breeding now the the policy that that, that will allow them to say, well, look, our quarantine policy, it's obviously working. Uh, No, that is not the case. They are two completely different things, absolutely behind the government with their local lockdown strategy, the swift response that they're actually doing, and the test and trace that uh, gets a lot of criticism, but it's actually broadly reaching quite a large number of people. But this sort of shut-the-economy-down approach, which is what effectively quarantine is doing, not just for the holiday tourists, because they're a relatively small part of it, but actually for the business economy, business events, hotels in London, not even bothering to open because there's no business visitors into this country. And why would they come here? if they have to spend 14 weeks in their hotel room, 14 well, days in their well, exactly room. Well, exactly
2: right. I mean, the only place you can get a hotel room currently is if you arrive on a beach in Dover, apparently, where you get uh, shipped mm-hmm. off to the nearest Britannia uh, uh, episode and see how you get along. But the other big story, of course, of the week, which again, for me, is totally and utterly manufactured, is this business about Tony Abbott, You know, because we all know what's going on here. Nobody's actually saying what's going on. But what's actually going on is the Ramonas in the media and the Ramonas uh, in the political world are trying to destabilise the Brexit talks because they think that Tony Abbott somehow is homophobic and a misogynist. You know, if it wasn't anything to do with Brexit, I don't think anybody would care, would they?
3: Well, his chief of staff, um, uh, Tony Abbott's former chief of staff, has come out very robustly and uh, on talk radio, in yes. fact, and basically uh, pushed back on, on these character assassination uh, that's going on at the moment. Now, you know, I haven't even seen the comments, he said, and I'm sure some of them Uh, Are probably what these days people regard as entirely inappropriate. But the fact of the matter is that there's a lot of a lot of hypocrisy going on around this. We saw Liz Truss in the House of Commons very neatly pull up Labour on this. Who are starting? uh, who, Who one of their charges is he's he's a misogynist, and and she rightly pointed out that the very same people are making this charge. Uh, were the ones that rushed to the fence of John MacDonald, who basically was saying that a, 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 a <laughs> Esther McVeigh should be hung. Yes, you know, I, I mean, quite honestly, that um, uh, people need to get a get a grip of themselves when they work themselves up to into hysteria. Uh, as we saw some of the Labour MPs doing yeah. yesterday.
2: Also, to be um, honest, Nick, I mean, this is a guy who may have some what you might call traditional conservative views. Now, the last time I checked, it wasn't illegal to have traditional conservative views based on any number of reasons. And, you know, the fact that people might not agree with that or agree with his uh, particular you know political beliefs doesn't make him in any way uh, disqualified for a job or doesn't make him in any way some kind of war criminal. Well, he's very qualified for
3: trade. That's the key point the government are making. He's extremely qualified for trade. A deal with Australia particularly is something we want. But we are a country that is on the verge of going out to make international trade deals Mm. uh, the minute we're out of the EU. Liz Truss wants a very experienced people. He clearly qualifies for that. However, uh, Mike, I'm I'm sort of thinking of placing another bet. I I could end up very
2: poor at the end
3: of this. But but, but I'm beginning to think number 10 are not going to appoint
2: him because of the row that's been going on. And that will Uh, be a tragic uh, uh, turn of events, not least because what it tells you uh, is that anybody uh, can be stopped from serving this government because the sort of establishment left don't like him. Well, you know, they're
3: very, very, well, as I said, I think I've highlighted precisely the sort of hypocrisy that's been going on from the left. Uh, the, the government, I must admit, you know, they, they go to the wall to defend their ministers. Uh, they ha- they're not quick to sack people in that sense. So I'm surprised, if you like, at making my own forecast. But reading the signals coming out from Number 10, it doesn't sound like they are going to appoint him. I'm afraid that is the age that we are living in now. Uh, and we shall see how that emerges. But if I could just briefly um, change the subject, although it is linked, how refreshing it was to see um, uh, the BBC uh, new new leader come out uh, today. I think who is trying to um, trying to uh, uh, cross some of these uh, habits that are growing up at the yes. moment that um, that a lot of us find very distasteful. I think it's extraordinarily refreshing. Uh, and I'm sorry, his name's just slipped. Tim David. I think it's... Tim Davy, I yeah. found it extraordinarily refreshing yesterday uh, that he's essentially saying to all those broadcasters and newscasters uh, on the BBC, uh, which is, is meant to be impartial, he's basically saying to, to those who are putting out this highly impartial partial social media uh, tweets, blogs, etc., that, that they're putting out, he's saying, hey, the party's over for you guys yeah. uh, and ladies, Uh, He says, because um, I don't want to see any more of that. The party is over for them for a very simple reason. Whilst they've been happy to uh, put these uh, very impartial posts out, and they are influential people, they are doing it whilst they take the public money Mm. uh, from the very people that they actually seem to despise in their tweets and social media postings. And it's right that he's called them out on this the test for him will be if he actually does something about
2: it if these people Mm. continue uh, to flout his requests. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, I'm actually about to support this guy, Tim Davey. He seems to be the first mm-hmm. person at the BBC uh, to have seen since because at the beginning of this week, uh, they reversed that ridiculous decision not to have uh, anybody singing Land of Hope and Glory at the last night of the Proms and Royal Britannia. Now, not only uh, have they moved away from not playing it at all uh, to playing an instrumental version, they're now going to actually have a choir inside the Albert Hall. Now, a lot of people have said, oh yeah, that's all very totemic and it really doesn't matter. But it actually does matter because it was... For a lot of people, the final straw of why the BBC somehow needs to change. And if he's smart enough and clever enough to do it just for the purposes of self-preservation, uh, sort of I don't really mind. As long as he does it. And you're absolutely right. You know, if Gary Lineker is told not to tweet anything political and then does, what does he do then? Does he fire him? Well,
3: I get the sense that uh, he's um, he's come out really... This is his main platform. He's just spelt out literally almost on his first day in office, mm. if you like. It will be very foolish of him to row back on it. Uh, and I have no sense uh, that he will. And I think people will respect that. I think they will respect his wider plan for the BBC. He is talking about a streamlined BBC. Let's not forget, putting aside what some of these... Um, people get up to with their very impartial opinions being funded uh, as uh, uh, sending those out at the same time they take the money from for the public money from the very people that they seem to despise mm. let us Let us also remember he 's talking about streamlining the BBC, looking at areas where frankly. The BBC are state-subsidised to such a degree that it makes it difficult for independent competitors mm. to compete with them. Yes. Uh, and I, th- I think he's essentially saying if there's channels and areas we're not in or that don't draw, uh, draw make a useful contribution, we won't be in them. My yeah. goodness, how refreshing is that? It's he really- could be the guy who saves the BBC.
2: Well, isn't it funny how while everything else is sort of going to hell in a handcart, as it were, the BBC suddenly found, as I've said to Julia Hartley Brewer, the cupboard of common sense that they've been hiding under the stairs for about 30 years, uh, and they've suddenly worked out that they can, uh, if they wish, not act as they have been for for the last sort of at least four years anyway. Well, except he
3: will find huge institutional resistance to what he is trying to do. Remember, um, this is true of of, of ministers. Uh, they come into government. They are absolutely convinced of what they want to do. They have a clear agenda and some of them are tough cookies. Mm. But there can be huge, as we've seen in the past. For goodness sake, Brexit with Theresa May, let's be honest. Um, it was a huge institutional resistance to things so the one thing tim davy will need above all above above his plans and his ideas is stamina he is going to need the stamina to take on the vested interest that will not like what he is doing so that he can shake up that institution and, I believe, ultimately save that institution. And as
2: we move through September, Nick, obviously Boris Johnson, uh, he had his big meeting uh, yesterday with backbench MPs. They've asked for more leadership. Um, As ever, people seem to be focusing on how many people there were in the actual room, which I don't think really matters that much. But as far as um, his next two weeks go, uh, what do you expect him to do? Is he going to come out and make some changes?
3: I don't believe that we're going to see substantive government changes uh, until we come out of the EU, i.e. a January reshuffle. Mm, It just doesn't make sense. I think he's got enough on his plate. There's always the watching brief on COVID, where they will be devoting huge bandwidth to, but he's also facing this critical time in the Brexit talks. And really refreshing about Boris Johnson, something I never saw when I was in government, uh, is that... He, has, he understands that the key issue that is stopping these uh, talks progress, i.e. that the EU wants to keep us on board with their uh, rules on state subsidies, on their so-called levying playing field. He understands that our future competitiveness, particularly in emerging industries where he wants to plough government money in to get them here in Britain, and get them started, these new technological businesses of the future. He understands that the EU is trying to bind UK's hand so that we cannot become more competitive and be a large economy on their doorstep, which would be so competitive they would not welcome it. That is why they are digging in as they are doing. And I am so pleased that Boris Johnson seems to understand that this is the one thing he should not give ground on. And if he doesn't, and it means we exit the, uh, the, uh, the, the talks without a deal, so be it, because it will be, it, it won't be easy, but our real future, the future of our younger generations, the future workforce, depends on us being able to structure and rebalance our economy as we wish to do it without having our hand tied by artificial state subsidies to please bureaucrats in Brussels.
2: Indeed. Nick, very well said. Thank you very much. Indeed. Nick Diswile, former Conservative MP, author of Confessions of a Recovering MP as well.
3: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: Let's say hello now to John Holland Cage, Chief Executive at Heathrow Airport, a man uh, who, alongside many other businessmen and business leaders, has got together uh, to express massive amounts of concern to the government about where we go from here. John, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Welcome. Afternoon, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I mean, I've been banging on about the need for, um, you know, proper economic um, sort of activity to to begin and to get going. And it's not really good enough to keep hearing from people. Oh, I like working from home. Everything's fine. I see more of my kids. I don't have to commute. You know, the trains are still empty. uh, The airports are still empty. What can we do? uh, What can you do to get the government to kind of take more uh, initiative here? Well, I think so far the government has been focused on the issue in front of them, which is the health
4: crisis. And we all understand that none of us wants to see a second wave of infection here in the UK. But increasingly, we have a unemployment crisis coming straight at us like a like a high speed train. Uh, 730,000 people have lost their jobs in the second quarter of this year. That mm. is a terrible uh, impact on them and their families. The millions more are likely to follow unless we start to do things to get the economy moving again. Right. And that's not just about um, us all going out and, and uh, eating out to help out. You know, that, that's, that's, uh, that will help to tide things over for some sectors. It's about getting our economy moving internationally getting trade routes reopened so that this small island nation which punches above its weight as one of the world's great trading nations can actually get out and do what it's good at again and start trading with the rest of the world because that's how we support millions of jobs in this country
2: well, that's the thing. And I mean, the whole business of Heathrow Airport, as, as I was just saying, is not just about passenger traffic. It's about trade. Uh, it's about things and goods that come through it. I mean, I was quite staggered. I think it was a couple of years ago when I discovered quite how much smoked salmon comes through Heathrow Airport uh, <laughs> every single year. And it's not to just single that out. But, you know, there's a massive amount of business that goes through Heathrow and a massive amount of people employed in all the ancillary businesses around it. And what I'm hearing from people who have been flying, I'm not one of them, sadly, um, is that they go to the airport it's very quiet. It's very deserted, rather like going out in London. Um, and it's just, you know, until we get the tourism back in a way, there's going to be a massive problem, isn't it?
4: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's not just about tourism. You're you're spot on that this is about the wider economy as a whole. Mm. Heathrow is a big port for tourists coming into this country, and we've seen very little of that happening at the moment, and that is killing the West End and other parts of the UK that rely on inbound tourism. But those passenger planes from Heathrow, many of which are going to long-haul destinations such as the United States and India and Australia, they're just not flying. People cannot uh, go to those countries and then come back again without quarantining. And that is killing business. And it's the passenger planes from Heathrow that are carrying Britain's trade all over the world. The belly hold of passenger planes carries 40% of all the UK's exports uh, just from Heathrow alone. That's how important it is. And if the passengers aren't flying, then the goods aren't getting there either. And that means that uh, British exporters just cannot get their goods to market in in a quick and effective way. And it opens the door for other companies in other countries to get in and steal the the markets that we have successfully developed. And that's just not good enough. We are gonna have to fight for our place in the world and the government needs to step up and do the right things to get the economy reopened and do it as fast as possible.
2: Well, I was hearing uh, from an Australian person that I met the other day, talking about how they were trying to get back to Australia, but the flights kept getting canceled. They're only allowing something like 30 passengers on a jumbo or on a big plane uh, back to Australia. So with those kinds of numbers, it's almost impossible um, to make any money at all, I would have thought.
4: No, a lot of those routes just are not viable uh, at all. But the bigger, the biggest issue is that uh, countries... Uh, uh, in many cases, have closed their borders, and the UK is one of those. Most markets are closed to us, yeah. and and actually, the the quarantine covers more than seventy percent of all the markets that we normally serve out of Heathrow. So that's cut off seventy percent of the UK's long haul markets from British traders, and that's a that that is strangling the UK economy. But there is a solution to this, and uh, what we see a lot of European countries moving to is testing people as an alternative to quarantine. Yeah. And while that's not perfect, uh, it takes Takes a few days to get the uh, the results and sometimes you can only be tested after, say, five days. That is better than a 14-day quarantine. Mm. And it takes away the risk that people currently face going to countries in Europe, that they might face this quarantine roulette where they don't know whether they're going to be able to come back to, to their normal life or whether they're going to have to self-isolate for 14 days.
2: Well, I mean, look at what's going on with Portugal right now. I mean, it's a crazy situation. Where if somebody flies back from Portugal uh, to Heathrow, they're fine. If they fly back to Glasgow, they're not fine. They have to go into quarantine. I mean, there's a sort of disconnect going on and it's almost as though it needs somebody, and, and I would say without fear or favour, somebody with a business brain to get their heads around it and to say to the government, look, this is this is just chaotic. It's not going to be any good for anyone. And what's wrong with testing people, maybe even when before they fly, coming in back into Britain so they've already got a positive, t- a negative test when they land? Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. The The perfect solution is that people are tested before
4: they even get on the plane to make sure they don't have COVID. Mm. And that might have to happen a couple of days before they fly and they might need to self-isolate, but that is fine. That means that you know that uh, when you get on the plane, you are clean and so are all the other passengers. That will give a huge reassurance to everyone. But you also know that you're not going to run the risk of quarantine when you get to your destination. And we've been calling since May for the UK government to take a lead in setting up a common international standard in testing so that the UK government accepts tests that might take place in New York and vice versa. And that would allow people to start travelling more freely without any risk of importing infection. But we just have not seen the progress on that that we need to make if we're going to save millions of jobs in this country.
2: Right. And so what would you like ideally to see starting next week? I mean, Parliament's back this week for the first week uh, in a while. Uh, what would you like to see coming out of down? coming out of the, uh, uh, the number 10 office in the next few days? Well, we know that the government isn't ready
4: yet to move to this common international standard, but that is where we should be heading for. What they can do right now is to agree a testing regime which may not be a single test on arrival. Uh, We're not calling for that. We're calling for a test on arrival and then a test after five days of quarantine, after which passengers can then go about their normal business. So if you can demonstrate you haven't got COVID, you can get out of quarantine early. That's exactly what a a lot of other European countries are doing. And that's allowed them to get a head start on us in restarting their economies. We have the Uh, we have the capability to do that. In fact, we have a testing centre sitting idle at Heathrow right now just waiting for the government to make a decision. And whether that decision is you you can be let out after one day, five days or eight days I don't care right now. Mm. Make a decision, get on with it, and let's get the
2: economy moving. Yeah, exactly right. And how soon, uh, from the people that you talk to in the airline business out there, uh, can we start getting tourism back? Because I know that you say that's not the only thing that's lacking at the moment, but it's a pretty big part of of what the business of Britain is all about. When you think about, say, parts of Scotland, where all they can rely on is tourism, all they can rely on is people going up there to play golf and fish and and stay in hotels and, and rent properties and that kind of thing. And I mean, I'm staggered, actually that more and more people haven't just said we can't carry on. We just haven't got any means anymore. Well, I, I I think you're right. People are clinging on
4: by their fingernails yeah. to, uh, to to try to stay in business. I, I know that uh, the West End uh, businesses in particular are really struggling to keep going because they, even though they have no, no visitors, they still have costs to keep running. They still need to um, support uh, people in, in pay and pay, mm. and pay all their overhead costs as we do. Uh, and I think that unless we see action quickly, we will start to see, as the, the job retention scheme comes to an end, uh, significant redundancies coming in in the leisure and hospitality sector and 4 million people in this country work in the wider leisure and hospitality sector. We have to stand up and protect those jobs. These are hard working people right across the UK and unless we help them uh, by getting international tourism moving again, unless we help the universities by getting international students coming back to this country again, millions of jobs could be lost Mm. that could have been avoided
2: and do you think there's a kind of a disconnect as well between the scientific community or certainly those in the scientific community who are advising government and business because you know clearly there are people that i'm sure you speak to and that i speak to um, who believe that the virus is very much on the wane particularly um, in uh, in the schools in this country particularly in uh, in in the cities of this country as well there's no evidence whatsoever that more people are getting infected and and going into hospital as far as i know. is there a better way of kind of getting the government to move more towards the business argument than the medical one?
4: Well, there's a balance between the two. And if, we, if you ask uh, one of the people in the Department for Health um, whether it is safe to do anything other than other than lockdown. They may well say, of course not, no, just, just keep the entire economy under control. But we will all be out of a job uh, very quickly if that would be the case. Mm. The role of government is to make a balanced decision that protects people's lives and protects people's livelihoods. And with testing, we're not asking anyone to take any risk. We are saying, uh, let's check that no one is coming into this country from high-risk countries Uh, if they have COVID. And the vast, vast majority of people in the United States and India and even China do not have COVID. We want those people to be able to get here and the others to stay at home. And testing will actually help with that we know it works because that's exactly what we do with the NHS today. Right. Why can't we extend it to get our international trade moving and get global Britain to be a reality, not just a campaign slogan?
2: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. John, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. John Holland Kay, uh, they're the CEO of Heathrow Airport, talking an awful lot of sense it seems to me, because he is at the very heart of not only the trade business of this country, the passenger business of this country, uh, the entire kind of um, uh, you know export business of this country as well, and everything is kind of on hold. Everything has been on hold since the middle of March. And while there is some business going on, like I say, I've been absolutely staggered uh, by the lack of business that people can do. And yet they can somehow survive whatever it is that's going on. It really is quite an extraordinary state of affairs. We've got time to take some calls though, so do make them uh, and get your voices heard. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We need to know what you're being told by your offices. We need to know what you're being told by your employers because there are obviously some log jams in the system. I'm not going to start blaming individuals, but there are some individuals who are simply not ready or willing or able to come back into an office scenario, partly because many of them don't want to, sometimes partly because they're not being allowed to by their bosses.
1: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers.
5: Independent Republic
0: of Mike Graham on Talk
2: Radio. Right now, though, it's time for us to do our homeschooling segment uh, because right after the news at 12.30, that is precisely what we do. Uh, Some of your kids may be back at school. Some of them may not be back until next week. Uh, We have asked for you to uh, keep us informed of how that's all going uh, because it's a new experience for an awful lot of people. We're going to talk now, though, to Natalia Duran, uh, who runs Urban Squirrels, a wildlife rescue unit that specialises in grey squirrels. Is this the time of year uh, when you tend to see more squirrels out and about because they're collecting their nuts for the autumn uh, to take them through the winter i think i'm right in saying that natalia will probably correct me if i'm wrong natalia very good afternoon to you
0: hello well thank you very much for inviting me uh it's it's actually very interesting for me because i homeschooled my own four children they're now young adults um but yeah we're talking about squirrels and uh, there, there's a lot to talk about um, well, the fact that they have a bushy tail, for example. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, that's uh, the Romans thought that their bushy tails were like a shadow, and uh-huh. that's why they called them skiros. Okay. We have the word obscure from that that root of the, of the word, and mm. squirrel, um, our word. But it's interesting how in different languages people pick up different aspects of uh, squirrels. In uh, Russian, uh, they say belka, the root is white, because they turned white in uh, winter. Right. And actually our original British squirrel also went white in uh, winter camouflage but it's now in polish i think it's uh, viviurka something like that to do with their movement mm. and speed um but i think also there's a there's an educational opportunity here to talk about the concept of biotic nativeness yes because of, here in this country we have uh, two types of squirrel we have uh, the gray squirrel, uh, well, about 2.7 million of them. They're very common. And if you do see a squirrel, it's far more likely to be uh, the gray squirrel, especially in, uh, in our cities where, well, they're actually probably the only diurnal wild mammal whom uh, city dwellers would see on a regular mm. basis. Um, so, uh, but uh, they are very common. They share the habitat with us, but they're not native. They were brought from America um, in the 19th century. And then there's also the red squirrel Uh, as a species, they are native to this country. There are now about 280,000 of them, far fewer than the grey squirrel. They, um, well, they became virtually extinct before the grey squirrels were introduced because of habitat loss and they do struggle here. Yeah. But to be native in in this country, um, you have to have lived here since the formation or since before the formation of the English Channel 8000 years ago so as an animal if you had to cross the channel to come here you're not native
2: okay Um, and when they were brought from america were they brought kind of deliberately to be introduced or did they just come on ships and kind of just roam
0: well absolutely they didn't pay people smugglers or animal smugglers to come here no um they were it's it's interesting really at the moment the academic the conservation fashion is for all things native Mm. native and bad but it has not always been the case in the 19th century the fashion was the opposite It was fashionable to collect animals and plants from all over the British Empire, in this case, and to try to establish them Mm -hmm. on uh, different continents. And, well, for example, the Kew Gardens in London was a holding uh, place for plants from all over the empire. Um, So it was cutting-edge science, it was a climatization Mm -hmm. movement, and there was a climatization for animals as well, and it was in this context that grey squirrels were brought to this country. And they, uh, they have done very well for themselves.
2: They have, because everywhere you look, you can sort of see them. I mean, I've, I've, I've found myself, uh, you know, probably not going uh, in a, through an entire day, a, a period of 24 hours without seeing a squirrel in one form or another. And they are kind of fascinating creatures because they look a little bit like uh, rats. They look a little bit like mice, but, but somehow um, uh, they, 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 they conjure up a very different image to both of those creatures.
0: Well, they look like rats with tails and they act like chimps uh, or even humans because they are very, very intelligent, which is part of the reason for their success, I suppose. Mm. And even, well, I mean, people who watch them in their gardens know that they they are very clever and those who try to feed birds in their gardens, for example, usually do battle with a grey squirrel that tries to get into the bird feeder. Mm. Um, Mm. I always find it's a bit funny because it's, well, even if you invite people to your home, you end up not always feeding the ones you like and want, (laughs) let alone...
2: No, yeah, it's interesting. And I'm told I'm told uh, that they've got four front teeth, which never stop growing.
0: That's right. Uh, yes. And it's uh, well, it's nice in a way for us uh, because we're on a rescue unit. It can cause great problems because if their teeth are not aligned properly, then they can grow into their skull, into their nasal cavity. You mm. have to bur them down, sometimes even remove the teeth. Um, but they cope amazingly well. I mean, it's very complicated surgery with squirrels. They're not like our teeth, but they do. They do very well. Yeah.
2: No, quite. And I'm told there's also a giant sort of giant squirrel that lives in India, which can grow up to in one metre long. That sounds quite frightening.
0: Uh, It is a little bit. If it's an animal that, uh, well, even in a tiny size can open walnuts, and if it's that size and as agile as anything, yes, it is a frightening prospect. (laughs) Plus, if it's uh, clever enough to deceive as well, because uh, squirrels have uh, something called theory of mind. Mm. It's um, it's kind of the the ability to understand what another person is thinking. It's uh, to know what someone else knows and how they're going to use that knowledge. And this theory of mind thing was, in the past, it was just attributed to human beings. It was about 20 or 30 years ago, it was thought to be the distinctive feature of Homo sapiens. Then it was kind of begrudgingly granted to chimps, and now it looks like other animals have it, including the grey squirrel. Because they've been seen, it's quite interesting, they've been seen uh, deceptively caching, burying nuts. If a squirrel thinks that somebody else is watching who might steal the nut, she will make a big deal of digging a hole, pushing something in it, covering it up, and then she runs off and buries the real nut elsewhere okay. while the oh, potential okay. thief explores the full cache. So, so, yeah, so, are, so, yeah. so yeah. during yeah.
2: what you would call the sort of hibernation period, where do they generally hibernate? Because once they've presumably collected all of the, the nuts that they need for the for the winter, where would they normally hibernate?
0: Oh, they don't actually hibernate. Uh, they uh, they are less active. Well, they're particularly active now because they have to prepare for winter. Mm. In winter itself, they're less active, but they do not hibernate. They, they still come out. They still okay. kind of. And, uh, get, get their food, etc.
2: Right. And you mentioned that the, the Romans had a different name for them. Have they been around since kind of the year dot, if you like? I mean, because obviously, um, you know, some creatures you can date all the way back to kind of the beginning of time. I mean, how long have they been? Have they been around? Were they here when the dinosaurs were here, I suppose, is the question.
0: Mm. Well, they, uh, they originated, the tree squirrels, the genus Ascurus, originated in Eurasia. Then they migrated to America about nine million years ago. Mm that's i suppose where i i know we pick up their history i don't know might but uh, longer than that then in america they kind of diverged into several uh species and one of them the gray squirrel was then brought back to eurasia as our gray squirrel
2: right and and normally speaking what's their mating sort of practice do they do they mate once a year do they mate for life how does that go
0: uh, gray squirrels are well as adults they're solitary creatures they live alongside each other but they don't they're not in packs or mm. groups of any sort uh, except for the first year of their life as juveniles they uh, sometimes stay in sibling groups uh-huh. many of them uh-huh. die so they, they say it's, it's good their safety in numbers uh, gray squirrels have babies twice a year so they mate twice a year they the peak Well, uh, as a rescue unit our peak of activity is april um and then now basically august september we're yeah. madly busy now mm, but the interesting thing about squirrels is that they mate and breed in accordance with predicted food availability
2: okay uh,
0: so they seem to uh, many trees uh, have a kind of pattern of producing seeds called masting where a bumper crop one year is followed by up to 10 years of uh, poor crops and squirrels somehow seem to predict when food is going to be abundant mm. and breed mm-hmm. more in those years and less if at all in the years where food is going to be scarce I mean, the scientists don't know the exact mechanism for this predicted predictive ability. They think that probably the size of cones or flowers or buds are their, their right. clues. But yeah, they, okay. they do it well. And what
2: about red squirrels? Finally, are they likely to become more um, prevalent, or are they still more likely to be kind of in the background? Because I was told—I may not be—I'm not sure if this is, is true—but the sort of the grey squirrels have more or less kind of um, sort of over it over them and, and made it difficult for them to ex- coexist.
0: Well, the thing is, uh, grey squirrels do in this case have an alibi because red squirrels became virtually extinct before grey squirrels were introduced. And that happened by the end of the 18th century because of habitat loss, particularly Mm. in the Industrial Mm. Revolution. And uh, really, uh, red squirrels are not as adaptable as grey squirrels. They need a very specific habitat in order to survive. They need, well, extensive pine forests or equivalent and wildlife corridors. And when this is not available for them, it, it is difficult for them. And really, well, I mean, yes, grey squirrels outcompete red squirrels in most of the current British habitat. And as far oh, as are, your, your
2: <laughs> rescuing organisation, Urban Squirrels, what is it that you actually do?
0: Well, we take in injured or orphaned squirrels, mostly babies, and uh, uh, rehabilitate them, hand-rear them. And ordinarily, we would return them to the wild. This is legally problematic at the moment, as of last year, but it's kind of, it's a work in progress, basically. Right. Um, okay. But it's, well, because grey squirrels share the habitat with us in cities, they're very visible to people. And when I get phone calls from people all the time saying, oh, my squirrel this and that. And I can kind of say, well, in what sense is it your squirrel? And it tends to be, well, the squirrel <laughs> they see in the way in the park or the garden. It is their friend as far as they're concerned. It's their companion animal that happens to be free living. And when something happens to them or they're young, uh, people expect a rescue pathway to be there. And they're deeply shocked when they find out that this is... Uh, very often not there. Mm. They call the Mm. RSPCA, they say, well, we can only kill them, go to your local vet. The vet says we can only kill them, go to your local rescue center. The local rescue center says, new legislation doesn't allow us to release them, we can only kill them. It becomes a proper nightmare especially if you have a child
2: in tow. Yes, absolutely. Well, lovely to speak to you, Natalia. Thank you very much indeed for the benefit of your knowledge. Natalia Doran, they're running Urban Squirrels, a wildlife rescue unit. So if there's any problem that you see with a squirrel, uh, you can get in touch with her. Uh, But fascinating creatures. You only ever do see them on their own. That was the reason I asked about the whole uh, family scenario, the mating practices, because you only ever see squirrels, I think, on their own, don't you? (laughs) mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's 12.48 and it's time for this.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards.
2: There's a bit of one handed waving going on in there, which I'm not sure is entirely uh, in keeping with uh, the
5: Mm. rules. But you
2: know, I guess one hand's better than none.
5: I might have to issue incompetence reports. You may have to,
2: yeah, you may have to issue a proper instruction uh, to the rest of the control room.
5: Very bad production, guys. Very bad production. Not good at
2: all. Anyway, welcome back.
5: Thank you. We missed you last week. Thank you so much. We did thank you I I sort of missed it as well but also um, I did not because I was on holiday yes well that's
2: (laughs) entirely correct we all need a holiday
5: it's good to be back though it is it's really really good and it's been great to have
2: you here all week which has also been good
5: yes thank you very much uh, pretty good week of
2: shows I think we can say
5: yeah I'm quite pleased
2: we're quite happy about it quite pleased good good numbers Um, as well
5: yes I've heard Yeah. heard the rumours
2: yes it's Um, all true anyway yeah Good go. afternoon
5: Thank you. and welcome you to you the much. Perrier Awards. And for the new listeners, because yes. there has been plenty this week, this is where we look back over the past week of the so-called Independent Republic so of called. Mike Graham on talk radio yes. and choose our favourite moments. And as it's tradition, Mike, the first period goes to you, you and it's much. become a cult classic, is the, oops, Mike forgets how to speak again.
2: Good morning and welcome to the, to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I did it again just a minute ago, but it's probably did too you? late to be
5: included. Yes, yeah. uh, there have been a couple of, uh, of of entries in the last hour. They have that um, have not been included. One of them for being a, a visual period, Okay. which I still have not managed how to um, how to do. Ah. But uh, basically, basically uh, a prol Daisy. In the control room, managed to play a, an image of a squirrel. I saw that over the CEO of Heathrow. Yeah, well, they do—they do get everywhere. <laughs> they
2: do get you know, everywhere.
5: They're quite annoying. So yeah, that was a little bit of an well incompetence done. report for yes. her. But uh, welcome to the team, Daisy. Yep, very good. It's good to have Excellent you here. Excellent job. Um, last week, so I was not here, right. as we've mentioned, but um, Izzy um, has been collecting a few Paris for me. Okay. And one of the things that happened is that uh, Ed Davy. Um, won the contest to become the Liberal Democrats' leader, yes. whatever that means these days. And uh, you guys took the announcement live, I understand. And off the back of it, you provided the harsh comment of the week.
2: I actually thought Lady Moran would win, because he's so boring, Ed Davey. He literally, you know, would put a glass eye to sleep.
5: <laughs> I've never heard true. that before. Have you not? No.
2: It's quite a good one, that. Yeah. Put the glass eyes to sleep. Yeah. yeah. He's now going to go around the country, uh, boring for the Lib Dems, uh, telling everybody why, or well, actually, no, asking them all what he should do because the Lib Dems <laughs> now officially have no policy.
5: I'm sorry. He said, Sh- Shouldn't he know what to do already? Well, normally
2: speaking, you know, you come at politics, you have some ideas, you tell you the people plan, yeah. to see whether they support you. Yeah. He's going the other way. He's going, what do you want me to believe in? And then I'll tell you what you believe I believe in, and then I'll go and do it. Well, Good luck with that, Ed. Yeah,
5: well done. Thank you. Thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, the next one I really like is the U-turn of the week.
2: I've just been... um, uh, Pablo has just um, uh, tweeted me a rather delicious story about Extinction Rebellion spokeswoman Zion Lights, which is a pretty odd name, uh, quitting the Green Movement to become a lobbyist for nuclear power, saying that she's (laughs) changed her mind. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. That's very good, isn't it? Well played. Well done. Mm.
5: Great transition. Mm. Um, The next one, uh, I thank the listener Steve for submitting it via email. Last Friday, um, Howard Hughes was looking after the 7 till 10pm slot and he won a peri for the... uh, the, (laughs) I'll try again. And he won a pair for the impression of last week.
4: Doing in for you on a Friday night across the United Kingdom. My name is Howard Hughes. We're going to be talking about one of the uh, the people behind Scooby Doo. Did you love Scooby Doo when you were a kid? I still love it now. <laughs>
5: Let's hear it one what, what more earth time. is he
2: doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's <is> pretty good. <laughs> it does sound like
5: it is doing. really good. It is. It really He also good. sounds
2: like he's recording from a cave.
5: Yes, because because um, it's from a different system. Because there have been problems with the archive this week. Is that right? Retriever uh, ah, okay. audio. So uh, mm. I, I many apologies for that.
2: Slight incompetence Though report there for the engineers. Then is that well, a larvin problem?
5: No. Well, well, we haven't got to the uh, James Larvin paranormal ah, for right. technical incompetence yet. We well, can give him yet. one for that as well. Well, yeah, definitely. So thanks Lavin. Mm. appreciate that well done uh, this uh week has actually been a really good one for impressions um mike congratulations you win a of for your sort of tribute to adele
2: she used to be famous for having a very nice homely sort of attitude and talking like that a little bit and talking about how she's still got the chinese in and she still uh, like to eat takeaway food and she still liked to you know do the dishes all right It's true. That's how she used to sound. Well, I think maybe she still sounds like that.
5: She probably does. I was trying
2: to propagate that myth earlier Mm. in the week as well that actually it's not her. You know, this big, <laughs> you know, it's not Adele. She hasn't lost any weight at all. She's just hired somebody to pretend to be her. Like
5: Joe Biden. Yeah,
2: and it'll be, you know, that'll be her for the rest of time. it would be great. Well, listen, it? it could if be it was that. true. Yeah. It's just, a, it's just a theory. Yeah,
5: just, a, it's probably it's just rubbish. put it out there. Yeah. yeah, probably. We'll speak to how it hears about that. Yes. Um, on the Unexplained on Sunday. And uh, anyway, and of course, we've also got the uh, classic Megan impression of the week.
2: Yes. Harry, Harry. Let's get a lot of money in uh, from Netflix and uh, let's make a lot of TV shows because we need more privacy. We don't need any more uh, money, but we we do need our privacy. Our lives, both independent of each other and as a couple, have allowed us to understand the power of the human spirit, of courage, of resilience and the need for connection. Nobody
5: asked me how I am. (laughs) What was that
2: noise in the background? Was oh, that Charlie was Ray? that was
5: Yeah, that was Charlie yeah. Ray. Um, Do you know, talking. I think that
2: second one was me trying to be an amalgamated voice of both of them. Oh. I think that was what I was going Is for. Is that what it was? Yeah, and it kind of morphed into her. Yeah. it started thought... off as a bit like yeah. him. And then, so that's kind of where I was going with that.
5: Yes, okay. Because well, they we'll probably speak with it. one voice. Well, of course, you know, like right? a hybrid, uh, non-binary voice. Yes, like yeah. two
2: narcissists into one. Oh, my God,
5: the accent, though, will be interesting, though, because it'll be like half British, half American. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Well,
2: keep your eyes on that. Yes, we will,
5: definitely. Uh, I'm so glad I've got a Netflix subscription (laughs) because I would not want to miss this for the world, would I? Uh, Earlier in the week, we spoke to to Howard Cox from Fairfield, UK, and you delivered the pun of the week.
2: They want to give local councils more power to beat the motorist over the head with a big stick. They now say they want to curb, get it? Uh, parking on uh, pavements, right? I thought it was quite good. Well done. Thank you. I was very impressed. Different spelling, same pronunciation. Yes, yes. Which well must done. be hard for are people whose language is not English of the first uh, kind.
5: Yes. Uh, I mean, I I was very proud of having spotted it. Yes, Because, well you done. know, uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes I miss them, right. puns, yeah. because uh, I don't know well, all the words. Well, there are some
2: words that you don't know, which is only natural. Well, exactly. Right?
5: Exactly. And uh, and speaking of uh, people not knowing words, yes, uh, let's go to the next right. one, because uh, while you're sometimes good with puns, you're not always good with words.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at these words in the Telegraph today. Um, Keech... Um, tripe i suppose i know um i don't know what on earth a moggy cake is or a scuffler i've no idea just don't know it's true yeah neither do i no i could have looked them up in fact i still don't know really (laughs) i think they're northern
5: i guess so you were talking to dave chawner last week yes i don't remember the context because i did not listen to it i think we were talking
2: about left wing comedians weren't we
5: oh yeah no 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 that was this week wasn't it was it yeah
2: i don't know the weeks all roll into one after a while i know when you haven't been away for a year
5: well i know you know I starts to get a bit mad i know i, I don't blame <laughs> you for that uh anyway let's uh, finally we get into this week's james larvin peril Award yes. for technical incompetence Good. and it goes to our beloved regular contributor helen dale
2: um the um so what you've what you've got then is um
0: something just popped up on the screen there
5: now
2: We've discovered something about this, haven't we? This
5: is a uh, paranormal activity going yeah. on on this show. That's scary. <laughs> Regular scary listeners uh, will remember the cu- the curse of uh, 1218, which happened uh, earlier in the year. Yeah. Phone box, which is our phone system, would go down every day at 1218. So if we were
2: talking to anyone and yeah. it hit 1218, the calls immediately which just, just yeah. disappear.
5: The line would go dead. Right. So for the last couple of days, we have the curse of 1118.
2: 1118. <laughs> what is it with 18?
5: I don't know. I don't know, which is when Skype... Wants to update ah. on the computer used for Zoom calls. Okay. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. And that, that little one.
2: click is that sort of little white square. Yes, yeah, so appears. a white square pops mm. up on the screen. She was obviously put off by that.
5: Yes, because they can see it as yes. well, the guests. Right. So um, it's
2: a bit like the first time somebody talks in your ear while you're talking. Yes. And if you're not used to it, you just immediately stop talking. Correct. You know. Luckily, I'm used to it. Of course you are. Also, I never stop talking.
5: No, of course. Yeah, we all know that that as well. Um, Anyway, because I'm running late, I'm going to skip to the last one, Sam. We're going to go for the one for the fans, the classic namer of the week.
2: Let's go to the phones first of all, though. Harry is in Buckinghamshire. Hello, Harry. Hi there, Graham. I'm Mike. <laughs> that's okay. You'll get yourself a Perrier for that, probably. <laughs> and there it is.
5: And there it is. As
2: if by magic.
5: And uh, that's uh, that's me, Don. Thank think, for this very much. for this week. That's, Super uh, duper. Thank you. That's all for the Perrier Awards. There'll be more next week.
3: The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio.